Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And when you look at what they said in the first part of verse 21 and the last part of verse 28, what did they really believe happened to them in Egypt? What's the real explanation of what happened to them that they admitted to each other? What was it? That they were guilty. That they were guilty. God was requiring the blood of Joseph. And also that, um, what is this that God has done to us? That's the real explanation. That's the real interpretation. Now, could they tell that? Oh, let me ask you this. Could they, could, could they go home and say, well, you see, Dad, uh, we are verily guilty concerning our brother Joseph because we saw the anguish of his soul and we wouldn't hear him. And, and in Egypt, well, God just caught up with us and he made us reap what we sowed. Actually, in Egypt, Reuben really got it right when he said that Joseph's blood was uh, required of us. So that's it. That's what happened in Egypt. So let's have lunch. <laughs> could they do that? <laughs> no. No way. No way. <laughs> okay. So that's not an option. Forget about it. That's not an option for them to tell Jacob any of that. So if they couldn't give any of the true explanations for what happened in Egypt, then the question is, what could they really say about what happened? It's a real dilemma for the brothers. And so they all agree that they would explain to dad that what happened in Egypt was one word. And they use this word in verse 29. This one word. The one word they're using here in verse 29 is the spin. It's the interpretation. It's the explanation. And it's going to be the theme of the explanation for what happened in Egypt. It's beautiful. They think it's beautiful. Because (laughs) if they could really press this word into Jacob, this one word in verse 29, they'd be off the hook. They'd be off the hook. So what's the word? What's the one word in verse 29? Befell. You said befell. Befell. Befell, that's it, befell, in verse 29. Told him all that befell unto them. Befell is the word that tells us how the spin they put in, the explanation. They said, befell. It's the word that it tells us that they told their father that, you know what happened? All those events, it just fell out of the sky to us. You know, he explained it like this. Look, Dad, there was this first event, you know, and... Whoa, it just came right out of the sky. And then there was the second event and the third event. They just all fell to us. And it's just a lot of events that fell to us. It was unbelievable down there. Just a lot of misfortune and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was just a matter of chance. I mean, all those experiences down there, Dad, they were like hailstones falling out of the sky. They just kept falling on us. No rhyme, no reason. Things just happened to us there. Now, the truth is, they knew there was rhyme and reason 
to what happened to them because they knew they were the judgments of God, but they couldn't tell dad that. So they, they put this, the fell spin on it all, on all the events. And then they described this terrible man down there. Oh, was he something in verse 30, the man who is the Lord of the land, he spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. Now they put all the blame on this man who is the Lord of the land, as if to say, Dad, we were really unfairly beat up by this man. And now you need to show your sons a little loving comfort because they've really been abused down there in Egypt. Very anti-Semitic place. Not a good place for Jews to be at all in Egypt. Now, that man was Joseph. (laughs) They don't know that. But they call him the Lord of the land. And they said it was so unfair and unkind of this man to speak so roughly with them and to falsely accuse them of being spies. And then they said, as Don, you 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 couldn't read it. They said this astounding statement. In verse 31, we said unto him, we are true men. You know, true men, no spies. They tell their father they were true men. And here they are knowing what happened to them was because God was judging them. They're really guilty concerning their brother. They're telling their father everything that happened. And they're telling him they're true men. They're saying, we don't tell lies. We don't, (laughs) that's what they're saying. We don't tell lies. As a matter of fact, When they said this, it's kind of interesting. As a matter of fact, when they said this, they were not being true men when they were telling Jacob that they were true men. You know, just like a few of the little kids that came into the CEF booth, and I asked them, I said, have you ever lied? And and, and, and a few of the kids said, no, we never lied. (laughs) I said, you just lied. (laughs) I just asked you if you lied. Now you just lied. And so it's astounding to see these brothers tell their father that they're true men when they've been deceiving their father for over 20 years about this wild beast that never existed, that killed his favorite son. And what was really killed was a kid, a goat, to get the blood to put in the Joseph's coat. So for over 20 years, they've upheld this lie while their father's been grieving for Joseph. And now they stand before him and say, we are true men. All right? That's quite a scene. That's quite a scene for us. It's an illustration for us of the depravity of the human heart, not just their heart, our heart, as the statement is blanket in Jeremiah 17, 9, when it says, the heart, not their heart, but the heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's Jeremiah 17, 9. That's a description of our heart. Now, now they go on to explain to their father what they told the man. They said, we be, verse 32, we be 12 brethren, sons of our father, one is not. The younger is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Now, notice here how they explain to Jacob about what they told. And it's the same thing, really, that they told to uh, Joseph, who they didn't recognize Joseph. And they said when they were down there. And also, it's very similar when they said, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. You know what's in common of all this? One is not guilty concerning our brother. One is not you know, it's conspicuously absent from what they said? The name of Joseph. They don't say the name Joseph. They can't say the name Joseph. They cannot bring themselves to say the name Joseph. They're just tormented by the very name of Joseph. And that's why they're not saying his name. You know, kind of similar in Jewish homes how you can't say the name Jesus. 
you can refer to him, and they have many ways to refer to him, but uh, they don't say the name Jesus. Now, they go on to explain to Jacob what the man told them in Egypt when it says, the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, verse 33, verse 33, the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, hereby shall I know that you be true man. Leave one of your brethren here with me and take food for the family or households and be gone. Now, that's an interesting rendition of what they were told in Egypt. Sort of sounds a little true about what happened there, but there's just one important detail that they left out. Now, they told Jacob that the Lord of the country said, leave one of your brethren here with me. But what did they not tell Jacob? In verse 33, they're explaining what the man, which is Joseph, but they don't know, the man told them down in Egypt, and he says, leave one of your brethren here with me. And now they leave out a little detail. He's in jail. <laughs> He's in prison. <laughs> they didn't tell dad that he really said in verse 19, if you look at that, verse 19, if you be true man, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison and then go home. So the Lord of the country said that Simeon should be imprisoned in the house of your prison. You know, that same terrible prison that you were in for three days. They just kind of left that part out. Sort of a selective deletion there. They neglected to tell Jacob that they had just spent three of the most terrible days of their lives in a prison, and that's where Simeon was. And so what they did tell dad was just the last part of what the Lord of the country said, take food for your family, for your household. So, See, dad, it's not so bad. You know, it, it, there's a nice side to this man. So what they're doing is they're telling the truth, but they're not telling the whole truth part. And so they're being very selective here. And I'm sure glad we never do that. So, you know, that's all settled. Yeah. But what's really important here is the picture that they're painting here. Now, they went on to tell Jacob what the man said to them in verse 34. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then shall I know that you are no spies and you're true men. So will I deliver your brother and you should traffic the land. So now they just finished their report of everything that befell them. You know, where there's no rhyme or reason and there's one important detail. They finished now their report of everything that happened, right? But there's just one little important detail, another one, that they just omitted in their report to dad. What was it? What was the really important detail, another detail, that they just omitted telling dad about? Yeah, that's right. That they found the money in the stack. I mean, I think that was a pretty important detail, don't you? That says their heart was in front of them. They were trembling over that. But that was an important detail that they got the money back, that at least one of them got the money back from their corn. They didn't tell dad that. I wonder why. I wonder why they didn't tell him that. Because what they're trying to do here is to control dad's feelings, dad's emotions. And that would only really disturb dad because there's no need to tell dad this at this point because maybe it was just a simple oversight. Right, guys? Yes, we all agree. Okay. So let's just move on and not complicate the matters with just that little history of finding the money in the sack. Because right now, they're in control dad overload mode right now. And they need for him to release Benjamin. So if dad thinks the Egyptians want to arrest them for stealing money, then there's no way that Benjamin's going to come down. 
So we can see how carefully they're trying to control the information. They're trying to manipulate Jacob. And by the way, Jacob's not buying this at all. So they move on in verse 35. They move on, verse 35. And now this is the next scene here. Verse 35, it came to pass as they emptied their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And both went, they and their fathers saw the bundles of money. They were afraid. So it starts off, this verse starts off with the, and it came to pass. It really looks like the boys have done a good job. They've done a really good job of controlling their father, convincing their father that what they said was true and it was all okay. It looks like they've gotten Jacob to believe that it was just a bad trip down to Egypt because of this terrible lord of the country who spoke rough with them, accused them of being spies. And so those words in the beginning of verse 35, it came to pass, we can hear the sons just go, (laughs) that was a close one, you know, but you know, we are smarter than the average bear. So we got out of that tight spot with dad. And all's going really well up to this point. And they seem to have kept their father from probing any deeper. And now it just seems like, okay, yeah, dad, look, you know, they want to distract the father now from any more questions about their encounter. And so it seems as though they're moving on to, let us show you the corn. Let us show you the great corn. You're so hungry. Everybody's hungry. Look at this, you know, that we brought back. And now we can just enjoy a great meal together. And so then they all open their sacks to show off the great corn, and they come back with the bam, you know, this like everything backfires on them because they had not looked in their sacks because they were terrified back the inn. Remember, we said a little strange, but they didn't do it. And now all their bundles of money just come rolling out, spilling out in front of them, and they're all afraid. They're all afraid. Now, what it says here is that they're all trembling with fear, and it says, you see that, Verse 35, both they and their father, when they saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Both they and their father were afraid. And they were afraid for different reasons. Why were the brothers afraid when they saw the bundles of money? Okay, they're really afraid because it's a further confirmation that the befell is not right. That they're being judged by God. And so the story has fallen apart right in front of them with this money. Okay, So if that explains why the brothers were afraid, then what is the explanation for why the father is afraid? What is Jacob thinking now when he sees this? What is he afraid of? He thinks his sons have stolen the money back. And he remembers how his sons were the ones that plundered the Shechemites. And he thinks they pulled a fast one. That before they left, they stole their money back on their way out of Egypt. How stupid can you be? That's what he's thinking, you know. Now, this is way too much for Jacob. This has just been over the top. And he lets loose, in the next verse here, with a fit of anger. He's so caught in tormenting anxiety that the words that he said, I don't know, he probably regretted after saying it. But he let loose in verse 36. Jacob, their father, said unto them, me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not. Simeon is not. Now you'll take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. So in verse 36, he doesn't trust his sons at all. And what he says here, that he's not trusting his sons, is he points the finger at them and he says, me have ye bereaved of my children. Now when he says children, he's not just talking about Simeon here. In fact, he even says. He says, he didn't say, me have you bereaved of my child. Simeon, Okay, that would have been the most immediate problem. Simeon is 
down in Egypt. But now he lets loose and he says, children, you bereave me of my children. And he, he refers to Joseph. He brings up Joseph. Me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not. So what's that show here? It shows here, Jacob is blaming them for Joseph's death. From that statement, we can see that, that Jacob figures that they killed Joseph. That's what he's thinking. They are the murderers of Joseph. So now in this fit of grief and anger, he reveals what he believes when he says, me have you bereaved of my children. With that statement, he lets it out that he believes that, that for over 20 years, Jacob has believed that the brothers were responsible for murdering Joseph for his disappearance. I mean, he knew about their jealousies. He, he had witnessed what they did to the Shechemites. He knew what they were capable of through Levi and Simeon. But it never came out what he believed. It never came out. But this statement, it comes out. Me have you bereaved of my children. He has betrayed his true feelings that they murdered Joseph. For over 20 years, he's believed this. This his son's murdered his favorite son. And now it comes out. What a statement. He's calling his sons a bunch of murderers. He feels that he's living with his sons and living with his sons that he's living with a bunch of murderers. He feels his sons are the enemies of his life. Jacob in his home is in a state of what the Lord Jesus Christ described in Matthew 10, 36. Matthew 10, 36 says, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. That's Jacob's feeling right now. He feels like Adam who was living with his son Cain, who had killed Adam's other son, Abel. How do you think Adam felt living with Cain, knowing that Cain killed Adam's other son, Abel? Betrayed. He felt betrayed. Adam felt Cain had betrayed him. How do you think David felt thinking of his own son, Absalom, when he said in 2 Samuel 16, 11, 2 Samuel 16, 11, David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How did he feel? Betrayed. David felt betrayed by his son, Absalom. How did the Lord Jesus Christ feel when Judas Iscariot brought the soldiers to the secret place, the secret garden, to arrest him? He felt betrayed. The Lord felt betrayed by Judas. And how do you think Jacob now feels? Living with his sons, who he believes has killed Joseph, betrayed. He feels that his sons have betrayed him. So when Jacob says this, me have you bereaved of my children, this is like an old infected wound. It's been there for a long time, and now it's been lanced. And out pours this old, bitter, angry suspicion that he's kept in there, shut up for so long in his heart when he, he believes, my sons have murdered Joseph. So Jacob now has really hit the bottom. And he says this at the end of verse 36. All these things are against me. I mean, that's the depth of depression. We can imagine seeing Jacob now go off alone in a corner all by himself and wail. All these things are against me. He's hit the point of the lowest depression in his life when he says all these things are against me. He met Many things, all things, were against him. In fact, he meant all of life was against him. Whenever anybody says something like that, all these things are against me, really what they're meaning to say is God is against me. God is against me. That's the Naomi syndrome. 
That's a Naomi syndrome when she came back to her hometown from Moab to Bethlehem with no money, no husband, no sons. They died, died, died. And she's greeted in the town, as remember, we looked at this in Ruth 119, Ruth 119. So they too, Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord hath brought me home empty. Then why then you call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me. The Almighty hath afflicted me. That is the all things are against me statement. And she was in this state like that, of really believing all things were against him. It's very hard to get a person out of that state of depression by trying to be logical or rational, because they're not logical and rational with the situation. But let's just try to be logical and rational and just have a look a little bit at the all things that Jacob believed were against him. I mean, as far as he's concerned, he meant like Naomi, that everything was against him, and then ultimately God was against him. But let's look at the immediate things that Jacob was confronted with when he said all these things were against him. So what were the immediate things that Jacob was referring to that all the things were against him? There are at least three. And so all the things that Jacob thought were against him, what was the first thing that Jacob thought was against him? Okay, (laughs) that's many, many things, all right. He lost his son. It's the disappearance of Joseph. So the first thing we're going to look at, maybe this isn't the first thing, there's so many things, but the first thing we're going to look at is the disappearance of Joseph. Was Joseph's disappearance really against Jacob? I mean, what happened to Jacob and his family as a result of Joseph's disappearance? What happened? They were fed. Joseph and his family, they were saved physically from the famine because of Joseph's disappearance. And not only that, but it's coming. But Joseph and his family will be placed in the best part, the best land of Egypt called Goshen, where they're going to grow from a group of 70 plus to millions as a result of Joseph's disappearance. So we can see, first of all, that the first thing that Jacob felt was against him and the disappearance of Joseph was not against him, was not against him. What's the second thing that he thought was against him? Was the disappearance of who else? Simeon, Simeon. Okay, now Jacob thinks, this is a thing that's against me. Simeon's disappearance. But what was happening to Simeon as a result of his disappearance? Simeon was left in that horrible prison all alone. No assurance that anybody was ever going to come back. And what that was doing for Simeon was bringing Simeon to repentance. Simeon was being changed in that prison to a different person. And so we can see there that the second thing that Jacob might have thought was against him was really for him. And the third thing that Jacob might have thought was against him in the all things was now going to be the taking away of Benjamin. And this was really not against Jacob either because this helped Jacob to now wholly lean on God for his comfort, for his encouragement, for his strength, and not to lean on his second most favorite son, Benjamin. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.